All right. Uh, all right. Let's see. So, um, uh, should we start from the? What are we doing? Are we starting at the top or at the middle? Um, I th- I think uh, we might as well start at the top. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, are you doing a cold open, or is like what we're about to do? I don't know. Maybe maybe start. this is the cold open. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Thanks Be to Pod. Nate, on this episode, you talked with Kevin Garcia, correct? I, I did talk with Kevin Garcia. About? Um, uh, well, about all sorts of different things, um, primarily to share Kevin's story, um, to give Kevin a space to talk about the church and who Kevin is. And, um, but primarily we talked with Kevin, uh, for this new series that we have going on. Right. So we have once again, incidentally run into a series of conversations that we've had that, uh, seem to all be in line with each other. And these, this series is going to center on church doctrine ambiguity. Yeah. So in other words, like when churches aren't clear about their policies, in this case, specifically toward LGBTQ inclusion. Right. And I think that that ultimately is, is what the next couple episodes will lead into. Different perspectives coming from different voices on LGBTQ folks and their um, positions in the church and whether churches are being explicit about what those positions are that are available to them. Yeah. And, and the big question is like, um, what does, what does it mean to not be explicit in your policies? Um, what does it mean both to the congregation, to the people who are attending and to the ministers when the church is not explicit in their stance on inclusion? Um, is it good? Bad? Does it hurt? Um, just spoiler. It probably hurts. Uh, that's why we, (laughs) that's why we, uh, brought Kevin on the show, uh, because Kevin has some personal experience with being a part of a church that wasn't clear on LGBTQ inclusion and feeling the repercussions of that. All right. Well, well, I'm ready. So let take us away, Nate. Sick. Okay, cool. So you want me to start with just like Yeah, who is Kevin? This like, is who I is. Yeah, who are you right now? And then how'd you grow up? How about that? Um, Kevin Garcia. Who is they? Um that is a great question. Who am I right now? Well, right now, I think that I uh, I self-identify as a spiritual director and intuitive life coach, a creative um, a public theologian is something that I allowed myself to start calling myself recently. Um, and uh, a mystic and somebody who, uh, an entrepreneur, uh, a camp junkie, uh, adventure haver. I just feel like it's really refreshing to come across people like Kevin, uh, particularly in the progressive christian world because kevin is someone that talks as if they're a normal human that enjoys life but also thinks hard and earnestly about things and oftentimes i feel like at least my experiences with progressive christian folks is in a university context where people are speaking really 
heady and verbose and you have to have like a certain vocabulary to to have any sort of input in conversation. Yeah, I totally get that. And that's what makes Kevin so special. Kevin has this uncanny ability to take these lofty theological concepts and present them in a way that is approachable. But the phrase enjoying life, Kevin certainly would not use that phrase to describe how they grew up. When I uh, turned like 14, realized I was attracted to boys and was horrified because Christians don't struggle with that kind of stuff. Um, I was a part of Exodus International for the following 12 years, which was the largest ex-gay ministry in the world. Um, and I effectively learned how to hate myself and suppress my sexual orientation while hoping for God's change. However, uh, that's not a thing. Um, so uh, at the end of that, I'm like 24 years old. I've become at this, you know, I've gone through like crazy college years. I have done, uh, I've, you know, doubled down on my fundamentalism at this point. I've become a missionary for God's kingdom. So in order to live out what Kevin had been told is this authentic version of Christianity, Kevin starts working with this mission organization. But that doesn't solve anything. I you know, came home from the mission field, thought that it was me. Like I'm like, okay, apparently... Because I, I must not want the healing bad enough. I must not want the things of God bad enough. I must be the problem. And the emotional, physical, and mental toil of overcoming fundamentalism is real. And sometimes it feels impossible. And in the midst of this turmoil, Kevin attempts suicide twice. I woke up after the second time and I was like, well, if I'm still here, maybe it's for a reason. You know? And I figured, okay, I either need to A get down with celibacy because like that's what I gotta do or I gotta figure this shit out because I can't keep living like this because I was I was so sad I was I hated my life I'm working for this missions organization that I quit like because that makes sense slash trauma is real um I start working for them in hopes that God is gonna heal me if I just really am like really really sincere this time I really mean that I don't want to be gay this time, God. I mean it. Um, and while I was there, like, it's like, it was, it's a very, like, charismatic, Holy Ghost role in place. And so it was always trust what the Holy Spirit is saying to you. And as I trusted what the Holy Spirit was saying to me, I kept getting this, this word or this impression that being gay was fine. That being queer was okay. And not only was it okay, but it was good and it was a part of me. And so the more I started trusting that, the less I was able to stay where I was until eventually I came out um, and got kicked out of that organization and moved to Atlanta with no job and no money and no So it was there at this conservative Pentecostal organization. It was there where Kevin had this profound moment when they realized that maybe their humanity isn't at odds with God that their sexuality isn't at odds with God. Maybe Kevin didn't have to fundamentally change themselves in order to be the person that God created them to be. Okay, let me let me just stop here and just say that I love the way that Kevin talks about the Holy Spirit. I mean, this is really cool. Just listen to this. For me now, when I talk about Holy Spirit, when I talk about hearing the voice of God, when I talk about hearing the Holy Spirit or following the Holy Spirit, 
and I also talk about my body, I, for me, it's like all one and the same. And what, I, and what I mean by that is this, is what I was feeling, because like what brought us to Jesus, right? You know, what brought me to Jesus in the first place? It was this feeling, this like, this something in my body, an upwelling of something, a force, an energy, a love that drew me to the person of Jesus. And I don't know how to explain it. I don't think most people know how to explain it. Um, but why is it that I can trust that feeling and then all other feelings after that are just wrong and stupid or, or sinful? And I remember like the first time that I kissed a boy on the mouth and I remember feeling like fireworks and like, it's just like, oh my God, this is what love is. This is what like connecting in this particular way is. Um, so that's, um, I, and I, I just think it's very interesting like as I've been doing my my own healing work over the past few years, learning to listen to my body and you know from everything of like eating to when I'm hungry and resting when I'm tired to also just like you know when something's right and something's wrong. Like it's just like there is this deeper inner knowledge that we have. And I think that knowledge some folks would call it the Holy Spirit. Four years after having this profound moment with the Holy Spirit, after coming to terms with their sexuality, today Um four years later. I have spent my last four years telling my story in one form or another over blogs and podcasts and videos. I, uh, you know, help run national conferences on the educating people on the biblical case for inclusion. I've been an organizer. I still do organizing here in Atlanta. And now um, I'm currently in the process of putting together this new project called the Big Queer Adventure Co., where we're going to lead like a bunch of amazing retreats and spaces for queer people of faith to find healing and connect with chosen family. Um, and what's the other thing I'm doing? Oh, and I'm writing a book. And that's going to be out in December, which I'm pretty thrilled about. Okay, so I think that this is a good time to pause. We'll be right back with more of Kevin's story. But before that, we want to tell you about how you can help. Thanks be to Pod. Um, so we're a few episodes in now. Things are getting rolling and the need for help is growing ever more. Colby and I are not millionaires, uh, not by a long shot. And podcasting is expensive. It's not cheap. And the best way to help Thanks Be to Pod, if you like the content that we're bringing you, if you want to hear more stories like Kevin's, if you want us to tackle more of these themes and these issues, and if you want to know of the communities, the, the, the Christian communities that are getting it right, then we need your help. And the best way to do that, Colby, is through our Patreon website. Right, which is what? what where, where do people go? Patreon.com slash thanks be to pod. Right. Patreon.com slash thanks be to pod. Yeah, and I think an important thing to note as well is, is that if you're excited about the themes and conversations that we're having on these episodes, these early episodes, becoming a, a patron of thanks be to pod is your best chance at submitting new content and themes for us to start talking about here. That That's where we're going to ask folks about what it is they want to hear about next. So it is patreon.com slash thanks be to pod. But if you're lazy like me and you would prefer not to have to type that into your search bar, you can just check out the description of this episode. There's a link. It'll take you straight there. 
And if you've never heard of Patreon before, it is this service used by a ton of podcasters. Literally, it's like the Renaissance when when Michael Michelangelo was supported by a patron. We need you to be our patron as we paint this beautiful Sistine Chapel called Ooh. Thanks Be to Pod. <laughs> beautiful. Anyway, I'm moved. Yes. Yes, you should be moved. Anyway, we need we need patrons uh, to make this happen and you can check us out. Okay. Anyway, back to the show. So let's let's rewind a couple of years here. We know where Kevin is now. We know who Kevin is now, this joyous human being with all of this great stuff going on. But a few years ago, after coming to terms with their sexuality, after acknowledging both to themselves and to the world that they are queer and that God doesn't have a problem with it, Kevin, Kevin's searching for community, searching for a church. I mean, like many of us, Kevin desires fellowship and community and friends and a place where they can belong. So at the time, a couple of years ago, the person that Kevin is dating is going to a church in Atlanta. And by all appearances, this is a place where Kevin can be himself, can be openly queer in an awesome environment with like-minded people. But things went sour pretty quickly. Yeah, funny enough, so... Uh, when I was at Adventures in Missions, which was the missions organization that I was working at, I actually was dating a woman at the time because wow. yeah. uh, I was trying really, really hard to, you know, f- marry a woman. But typically I just, who I am, like, I don't typically fall in love with women. Um, right. Uh, but, you know, I was trying really, really hard to be the good Christian TM. And she went to Grace Midtown. Right. Uh, Grace Midtown is the church that I attended, and I don't have a problem saying their name out loud because I said it on the internet already. You, <laughs> so you, you did, <laughs> yeah. Um, and so I started going there. She brought me there, and I like when we were like planning our life together. We were really like, mm. you know, it's it's that thing that evangelical Christians do, where like they envision their entire life within the first three <laughs> weeks, and like you know, you find your church, and you find your person, you find out who's going to be doing your marital counseling all right. within the first three weeks, right? right? Yep. Yep. So. I'm going to this church and I'm really enjoying it. And the reason I'm drawn to it is because it was exactly like Adventures in Missions in many ways. Like, uh, you know, outwardly focused, you know, it, charismatic in some ways, but not over the top. Hip, sexy, and cool. Like, who doesn't want to be around sexy mm-hmm. hipsters? Yeah. yeah. Um, mostly white, but having right. conversations about race. So I'm like, right, oh my right. God, yes, we're a progressive. Um, yeah, and so... When I came out and moved to Atlanta, I'm just like, well, I don't know where else I want to go to church. Like, you know, well, I went to Grace Midtown. They seemed to be kind. And, you know, it was a big enough church where I knew that I wouldn't have to or I wouldn't run into my former girlfriend and, you know, make her uncomfortable. Right. Um, And so, you know, I was just attending. And so I went through like the, you know, go meet. Like they had like this mixer thing for adults. That's basically what it was. It was like a mixer for adults (laughs) where you can come and meet who's going to be in your new small group and form a new small group. And the only... Um, the only requirement for you to be a small group leader was raise your hand if you want to lead a small group. And guess what I did? <laughs> raise my hand. Yeah. And also, like, I've been in ministry my whole life. So, mm-hmm. like, why wouldn't I want to lead a, a very successful house church? And guess what? 30 people showed up to my first little meeting. Because you know what? I'm good at what I do. <clears throat> and I also was, like, totally open with everyone. Like, I'm queer. I'm gay. Yeah. Like, I'm here to lead you into all truth. Yeah. Um, slash ruin marriage for the rest of you. Yeah. Um, 
So I'm leading for about three weeks. Things are fine. And then I get pulled into a meeting. Okay, before I, sorry, back up. Before I actually started leading the small group, I actually got dinner with one of the pastors, the one who is in right. charge or was in charge of the house churches. And I said, am I ever going to hit a glass ceiling here? I told him my whole sob story, the right. whole nine yards about how I was excited to find a church like Grace Midtown because I felt like I belonged, blah, 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 blah. And he said, and I quote, you are never going to hit a glass ceiling while you're here. We want you to be here. You are important. I think you're going to be able to lead some really important conversations around the LGBTQ question. So I'm over here thinking I've hit the jackpot of churches. Like, oh, my God, this church is on the brink of change and, like, inclusion, and I can be a part of that. And so, of course, like, my self-righteous ass is, like, you know, totally jazzed. And then, like, two, three weeks in, I get called into a meeting with, my co-leaders, um, a married couple. So I get to into this meeting and I knew what it was about from the get-go. And I'm sitting there and he says, I'm sorry, but we can't allow you to lead right now because that would be us making a statement. Make That would be church leadership making a statement that we're not prepared to make. And I just sat there and I heard his words and I was like, you fucking lied to me. Like, maybe you didn't mean to. Because, like, he even told me, he said he was just hoping that it was going to, like, float. Like, it would just, like, go under the radar and I could just lead and no one knows. I was like, so you weren't actually proud of me for, like, stepping up as a member of this church. Like, you weren't actually excited for me. You were hoping. You didn't want to You didn't want to tell me no and hurt my feelings. And you were just hoping that the loudest queer in the room wouldn't make any noise. Now, granted, I didn't say that to him in the moment because I was crying, but in hindsight, I wish I would have because that's an excellent line, in my opinion. So it was just, it was it was mind-blowing to me. I'm just like, you, this is, that was my first taste of discrimination within the walls of my own church. And so, and I told him that night, I said, you have me until the day when this church adopts a policy that says that I'm not welcome. Fast forward two years later, after me and my friends have started our own small group because no one's paying attention to us anyway. So all the gays got together and started a gay little small group because we needed a space to gather, because we needed a space to process what was happening. And we called it the open table. And it was the most beautiful collection of people I ever was a part of. Yeah, Um, It really was its own little church. And we were meeting at one of our pastor's house until they said, hey, you're no longer allowed to host the gays at your house, pastor. And so he had to step down under threat of losing his job, which was very, very unfortunate. Yeah. Um, and then, like, I got and I was emailing the pastor. I was like, "Why did you take away our space? We why did you take, like we weren't doing it? We were like literally we were reading the Bible and right. praying with each other and right. singing worship songs and taking communion. Yeah. That's what we were doing. And you're telling me that that's not okay to do in a pastor's house? So I was just, I was so furious. And so I get in this meeting with the lead pastor. This was on my birthday, no less, turning 28 years of age. And he says, so after we got kicked out, he said like there was some conversations happening among the leadership and the board of elders. And they voted to officially adopt the Grace Midtown Family of Churches statement on marriage and family, which defined marriage as between one man and one woman. However, it did not further define what an openly queer person, how they could interact with the church um, or how, like if they could be a member or if they could participate or how they could participate or whatever. And so I was asking all these questions. And of course he didn't have any idea. He just knew that this is what they were going to implement. I'm like, so you're telling me that I've spent the last two, two ish years 
having coffee with all of you, sharing my story with all of you, crying in front of you. And this is what's going to happen now. You're just going to drop this on us and just that's that. So my story wasn't important to you. So you were listening, but you weren't hearing me. And it was one of those things where it's just like, do you understand the damage that this is going to do to people? Like how much people trust you right now and think that you love them? And you're going to tell them, actually, we don't think that your love is valid. And we actually think that it's sinful. Like it was, it was like, I kept my cool as much as possible. And then I just left. I was just like, you're like, you, you don't even believe this. Like, that's what blows my mind is that it's just like, you are, you call me friend. So, and you like, you've prayed over me and my boyfriend, like, come on. Like you cannot, like, it does, it does not make sense. And the reason it doesn't make sense is because it doesn't make sense. It's because people are more concerned with power and keeping the status quo in check than they are about actually living out the gospel of Jesus. You know, it's like, it reminds me like the story, the story I'm stuck on right now is Luke. Um, Jesus healing the woman on the Sabbath and the religious leaders are like, oh my God, oh my God, you can't heal on the Sabbath. Like that's against the rules. And Jesus says, you know, you guys are a bunch of hypocrites. You would untie your donkey and lead them to water, but you would not let this woman who has been bound up by Satan for 18 years be set free on the Sabbath. And it's just like, that, and that's the question. It's just like, do you not see the suffering right in front of you? You're going to quote a rule at me? You're going to quote a rule at me. And your sister right here is suffering at your hand because you won't do something. So to me, this is this is the hangup that I have with pastoral responses to inclusion and affirmation is, is that when there's a theory or a doctrine or an article or a quippy tweet, uh, they're quick to support it, to retweet it, to share it. But when it comes to actually enacting stances out on the ground, you see this quick decline in willingness. They're willing to post online about being an ally or even preach about the need for Christians to be allies that come alongside LGBTQ plus people. But when they have to defend a queer small group leader, they're unwilling to do so. Right. And I mean, I think that's one of the most frustrating things about this story is that Kevin was told that this was a space where they could be themselves. And then it, that wasn't true. That was never true. And because the church never had assessed this, if this had been assessed from the very beginning, if it had been clear from the very beginning, if the church had thought this through before Kevin ever walked in that door, even if they had come down on the unaffirming side, I mean, if they had come down on the unaffirming side, then this situation would have been avoided because Kevin would have never walked in that door. You know, I mean, but it's because churches remain ambiguous on who they are. It's because of that that people like Kevin get hurt by churches. So one of the reasons that we wanted to talk with Kevin to share Kevin's story was specifically because of Kevin's church experience, being burned by a church that is unclear in their policies toward LGBTQ folks happens far too often. And in the weeks leading up to this episode, Colby and I noticed something on social media that that kind of really caught us off guard. Our LGBTQ friends were posting pictures of themselves in front of megachurches that are not affirming. 
I mean, these are churches that you've probably heard of. They're the churches with the big worship teams that produce music that like every evangelical church in the United States sings. But they are not affirming. I mean, some of them even have ties to the Southern Baptist Convention, which I, which I promise is not an affirming organization. And yet we saw this on Facebook and, and on Instagram. Friends of ours who are openly gay posting pictures in front of them. And part of the reason for that is because these churches are intentionally unclear about where they stand on inclusion. And that's where I think a lot of people get fooled, is that, you know, I have friends who, you know, queer friends, I found an entire group on Meetup one time of, of like LGBTQ people who go to Passion City. And because, because like mega churches are huge, it's really, really easy, and the you know, population of queer people is going to be smaller. And so, of course, like, you know, we float by each other. We don't even know that we're there. And also, we've also, like, we're, we're just happy to belong a lot of times. Queer people are just happy to show up and go to church and clap their hands and feel good like all the other people. However, if you were someone, like, I always ask them, just like, would, would, uh, would you, could you get married there? Like, would your church allow you to get married? Oh, well, Elevation doesn't do marriages anywhere on any campus. I'm just like, okay, but just like, would one of your pastors marry you then? You know, would they affirm your marriage? And the answer is, oh, I don't know. I'm like, well, if you don't know, that's data. Because if a church isn't outright celebrating queer people, then they don't celebrate queer people. They don't welcome queer people. Because welcome, to be welcomed is to be celebrated. To be welcomed is not to just have a seat at the table. Like, to be welcomed is to be celebrated. And like, the thing of it is like, you can have a seat at the table and still be eating different meals. You know what I'm saying? You could still, and like a lot of times it's just like, we've like, and then eventually you're at the table and like they feed you for a while and you're feeling good. And then they start bumping you over to the edge. And then eventually like you're serving. And then eventually you're just standing on the edge of the room. Again, just happy to be in the room and you get the scraps at the end of the meal. That's what it feels like. Is that, and people, we just like, we've been conditioned to think that the scraps are good, that the scraps are okay, that our birthright is not the wedding feast of the lamb. So so I was at a church last week. Believe it or not, I have been attending a church uh, after all of the the conversation that we had about whether I was going to continue to go to a church following being a pastor and ending that time for me. But I've been attending a church and Stan Mitchell um, was preaching and he said something to the effect of, of we have been sitting at the table, we being the church, have been sitting at the table, whining and dining ourselves for years and years. And LGBTQ plus folks are sitting underneath the table, graciously accepting the wine-soaked breadcrumbs that fall from our lips. He continued and asked, when is the institutional church going to realize they've been sitting at the wrong table the whole time? Stan believes it isn't our duty as the church to invite or make room at our table for LGBTQ plus folks, but instead the institutional church needs to leave its current exclusive table to join queer folks at their table. Yeah, I mean, I really like that. There's another issue at hand here, and one that this podcast has attempted to address, or at least talk about, 
Conservative evangelical spaces, I mean, if we're being honest, they feel so much more modern than the typical progressive mainline church. And feeling like you are in a space that belongs in the 21st century, I mean, that's attractive to millennials. And so I, I put this question to Kevin and asked Kevin about worship spaces. Yeah, you were saying you were saying like, uh, what do I look for in a church now? Or like, right. why do you, yeah, yeah. Or, or are you asking, or were you asking like, why do you think people are so attracted to spaces like that? Both, right? Like, I feel like there is, it's okay to be attracted to a more modern space. And yet the oh, more yeah. modern spaces often are the more conservative ones. So like, is there a possibility for there to be a progressive modern church? Yes, there, there is a possibility. Um, it's just, it just, they exist so few and far between that it's hard right. to imagine. Um, yeah. And it is, it's, it is a smaller part of like, cause like, I feel like this is something my friend Miles and I talk about a whole lot. PCUSA has so mm -hmm. many brilliant minds and also has, in my right. opinion, a really good, robust theology that allows for yeah. us to liberate ourselves in ways that I didn't know were possible. And, but the problem with PCUSA, it's mostly white. So that yep. there's that, but historically white is a, just problems in general. Uh, yep. Two, older. Three, yep. um, I don't love y'all's hymns. I'm just going to say it. <laughs> well, I'm like, no longer one of them, okay? <laughs> I'm not one of them. The, the Presbyterian, it's like, there's this beautiful, like, and there's nothing wrong with mainline denominations mm -hmm. or liturgy no, or anything like that. It's just one of those things where just like the modern soul the modern soul. I sound like I have like some kind of the modern soul. No, I think that there's the, the people are looking for. I mean, people are attracted to pop music. Let's just be honest. People are attracted to music that makes them want to move. And so like spaces like Bethel spaces, like North point spaces, like elevation that mm -hmm. also fall in line, fall on the line of Jesus is your personal savior. And it's about you. And it's about, it's narcissism, narcissism. Right. That's true. Um, but they really, they really do, in some ways, I think, do a good job of saying, we love you no matter what. And I'm like, oh. And I think that they, I think that they really mean that, but they just don't know that they don't actually live that out. That's the thing, is that they're right. absolutely sincere. One of the things that Kevin points out here that, that you and I have talked about is that modern worship spaces are hard to find. I mean, that's kind of one of the, the points of this podcast is that although we're coming across these progressive modern spaces, they're so few and far between. And this raises all sorts of questions about Christian community and what the future of the church looks like. And so, of course, I asked Kevin that too. The big answer is, I don't know. I really wish I did. I think that it can be collectives of people. Like, I am friends with some really wonderful people out in LA, part of New Abbey Church, which is a progressive, non-denominational, independent church um, with all the right people at the helm. Um, gender and sexual minorities at the front of the line, um, POC at the front of the line, they're leading the charge. Um, and it's healthy and it's growing and it's diverse and it's, you know, it's sex positive and it's LGBTQ affirming and it's women empowering. It's like, wow, that can happen. And then there's other places like Denver, like left-hand church. There's places like Forefront Church in New York City. So these spaces exist. What I think makes... And this is, okay, this is what I think is really interesting. The reason Bethel, I mean, granted, there's a whole subculture of Christianity that lends itself to celebrity. 
which makes the dissemination of cultures like Bethel and Hillsong and Elevation and all their worship music. It's like worship music is influence in this world in some way, because like it also pontificates your own theology, in my opinion, which I think most of their theology is really shitty. Like how many songs about being bad and God dying can we write? Like, can we just like do that? You just like write about like, it's just, and so it's one of those things where I think it can be done. I think it will look different. Um, so my hope is like, I, I really want more churches. I think, cause like, I think for, for better or for worse, I think that the church when it's doing its job is a really, really effective tool in, you know, helping exact justice or like bring justice and shalom back to the world when it's doing its job. Like a couple weeks ago, um, I went and volunteered with, um, Church of the Common Ground, which is an Episcopal church, and all of their members are people who are experiencing homelessness. And we all hung out. We did this foot clinic together where we all did manicures on people's feet, people who walk all the time. And that was church. And then I also, you know, went and got online and did like this, you know, this couple hour like empowerment seminar with a bunch of people through a webinar. And that was church. And then I went to church on Sunday and that was church. And then I went to brunch afterwards and that was church. And so for me, it's like, I am a big believer in like redefining what we can do as church. Because I think that like, and not even making a religious thing about it. It's just like people being together, people having a good time, people knowing that they're welcome and loved. Like I believe that the brunch table is just as beautiful as an altar as the communion table. Um, And what I'm striving to do with my work is to create more experiences for, I mean, again, like my realm is queer folks, right? So like my work is creating spaces for queer people to be together and to thrive together. Um, And I think that's overall, like what we need to continue to do is just create spaces for people to thrive. And if that looks like creating a Sunday morning where people gather and we hear a teaching, then great. I think spaces like New Abbey and other churches are doing wonderful work like that. Um, and I also think that like, it's one of those things where I think the church will endure like the, the universal church, you know, I think that faith just doesn't disappear like that. It evolves for sure. Um, and I think the next evolution of church is like going to be in the direction of like, mm, I would admit this is, again, this is just pure speculation is that I honestly think that like, it's going to be moving away from larger buildings and just away from buildings in, in general and just become groups of people or like organized as a uh, Brian McLaren would put it organized religion, organizing around the right things. So I just need to say that I'm, I'm 100% for brunch church. Uh, when I was in divinity school, there, there was a portion of my thesis I was writing on, um, on embodiment and physical activities as ways to connect with God um, so very in line with our Holy Spirit conversation earlier, uh, but I, but I wrote about brunch culture being just as pivotal for millennials' spiritual lives as the church that some of them are attending before brunch. Some of them are just going straight to brunch. Lately, I've been one of those ones going straight to brunch. Right. I mean, and and that's like a really scary concept. I mean, for being honest, for a lot of pastors who work for institutional churches. But it's kind of one that if we're not paying attention to, then we're in trouble. Like this is this is a real thing 
this is this is what Christian community is morphing into. And like you say, I think there are legitimate reasons for that. Yeah, and I think even beyond this, this being what Christian community is morphing into, I think this is a manifestation of the church that's always existed. And right. we're just naming it more explicitly now, and we're moving away from what the institutional church was towards these alternative uh, modes of community. Right. Yeah, exactly. Can I just say also just like, I think that like to the person out there who feels burnt out and like giving up on community, like I just want to say like, it's completely understandable. Like we, we came from a space in a world that promised us one thing and didn't deliver on it. And in many ways, like did the opposite of what it was supposed to do. So I just want to affirm if that's you right now, it's fine. But I will also say that healing happens in community and community only happens when we come together. Okay, so just to wrap things up here, um, we've been talking a lot about what it means to exist in community. And like like we said, uh, we wanted to talk with Kevin because of Kevin's experience with this church in Atlanta of being in a space that was ambiguous, that wasn't clear on its policies towards inclusion. After, you know, scrolling through our Facebook feed and coming across friends who were in spaces that we were like, oh, I don't know why. Why? I mean, why is this happening? I asked Kevin, what would you say to people in those conservative spaces? Straight or queer, I would say this to anybody. If you are going to a church that is not affirming and inclusive of LGBTQ people, meaning that there are no restrictions on membership for queer folks, that they would perform a same-sex wedding, um, that they that LGBTQ people are allowed to hold positions of leadership, that they would hire an LGBTQ person if they were the qualified candidate. Um, Like those things are just like very, very black and white yes or no answers, which are also the same questions that Church Clarity is measuring. If for some reason you are going to a church that those things are not true, they're not affirming, they're not inclusive, the only reason you should be going to that church is because you are actively advocating for change. That you are a person who has invested time in the church and you want it to be more inclusive of your LGBTQ community. You want it to be safer and you're working specifically with the leadership organizing to build pressure to make policy change. That is the only reason you should be going there because if you're going there just to get your, you know, your spiritual rocks off, if you're going there just to like feel your feels, just go in there and just like, oh my God, like, you know, they really love people here. And you know that there are policies that are discriminating against people. You're complicit. And I'll say this especially to queer people too, and like this is probably going to sound harsh. You should be able to go to a church where they actually love all of you and not just you know keep part of you secret. Because at the end of the day, those churches don't love you. Churches are a system. Churches don't have actually feelings. The people there might love you, but the church, you don't have to be loyal to that and you shouldn't be loyal to that. And here's why. Because at the end of the day, they're not going to go out to bat for you. At the end of the day, they care more about putting, like, keeping their coffers full than they do about you. And I guarantee you, try it. Go ask to be on leadership. Go ask to rise up. Go ask your pastor to marry you and your partner. Because I guarantee you, the moment you start making them uncomfortable is the moment they're going to start avoiding you. Is the moment that you're going to really see what the hell is going on behind the scenes. Because at the end of the day, it's about numbers for them. 
like I'm like and I and I hate and granted they don't think it's about numbers for them they don't think it's about celebrity for them but the pro but that's the thing is that like whiteness and white supremacy love to hide it and I also think that like especially if you are a white gay cis male which I find more often than not are the people who go to these big mega churches it's really easy for white cis gay males to kind of capitulate to heteronormativity and just get in line and not rock the boat because they're just, again, happy to show and be a part of the crowd because they already experience so much privilege being white cis gay men. So it's one of those things where just like examine your privilege because if someone like me rolls up and I'm dressed really femme that day, like if I'm wearing a skirt and heels and a wig, am I going to be welcome in your church? Would I be able to lead worship? You know, if I like... It's just one of those things where, like, just to reiterate my point, if you go to a church that is not affirming and you're not actively trying to change it, you're complicit. So uh, maybe we want to resource some people here. If you're wondering if your church is an affirming church, if you're asking that question, if you honestly don't know, if you're in a space that you think is really cool, that's really hip, and you like the worship, but you're you're now asking, hmm, I wonder if this church affirms the humanity of my friends. There is a website, it's called Church Clarity. Church Clarity surveys churches, and, and, and they give a, a, uh, a score on whether the church is inclusive of, or not, primarily in two areas, whether the church is inclusive of LGBTQ plus folks, or if it's inclusive of, of female leadership. So if you're looking, if you're wondering, if you've just moved to a new area and you need a place to start, Church Clarity is a great place to start. Yes, churchclarity.org. I just, while you were talking, went over and input the church that I've been attending and it tells you whether they will hire LGBTQ folks, whether they will marry them, ordain them, allow them in leadership, and some also include whether they do have um, LGBTQ plus people on their staff, and if they do, what the ratio is, and then, yeah, same same for women. They, they explain their policy on preaching, ordination, whether they would have a woman as a senior pastor, and as well as governance which to be honest i have no idea what that is but nate might know he's more of a church junkie than i am <laughs> governance would be like whether or not women are allowed on like uh, leadership oh uh, like deacons and boards yes. yeah okay exactly mm-hmm. yeah um so this is kind of the end of this episode and we're so grateful for kevin coming mm-hmm. on, coming on the show and and sharing their story kevin's got a lot of still cool stuff coming out uh, a book that they are writing soon to be out at the end of this year. Hopefully at least that's what Kevin told me a couple months, at least a month ago. <laughs> uh, and it's, it's called bad theology kills. And I'm sure that we will link to it as soon as it comes out. Hi everyone. My name is Emma Dove and I'm from Waynesboro, Virginia. Thanks Be to Pod is hosted by Nate Dove and Colby Long. The song Take, Take, Take is by Lava Goals. Special thanks to Kevin Garcia for joining us in this episode. If you want to hear more stories like Kevin's, then consider donating to Thanks Be to Pod on Patreon. We couldn't do this without the generous support of our patrons. And if you can't support the show financially, give us a review on Apple Podcasts. 
until next time, this has been the word of Pod for the people of Pod. Thanks be to Pod.